You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Salaman, let's meet The Firsts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wa ala. So alhamdulillah, it's hard to believe it has been uh, a year and a half since we had this gathering live in the masjid, alhamdulillah. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to gather frequently, remembering him and learning about his religion and getting close to him and getting close to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allahumma ameen. And of course, we are restarting the firsts, which was the series that was ongoing up until Ramadan. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our Ramadan, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahumma balighna Ramadan, oh Allah, send us the next Ramadan. Allahumma ameen. So here we are, and we are in the biography of one of the most important people in Islam who a lot of people don't develop a deep connection to until they go to al Madina. So I'm going to make another dua. May Allah grant us a hajj or umrah soon that is accepted. Allahumma ameen. If you go to Medina, you visit shuhada Uhud, the martyrs of Uhud, and instantly you connect to Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Every time you go there and the guide tells you about the way that the events of Uhud unfolded, when you are there, you will connect to Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. However, many times we underestimate who he was and the role that he played because of how early he died in Islam. And I'm just going to start off with this. This is a man that some of the ulama said had he lived, he would have likely been one of the khulafa. He would have likely been one of Khulafa al-Rashidin. He would have likely been one of the caliphs. So that tells you enough that he was considered from the best of the best of the Sahaba of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in his love for Allah, in his love for the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, in his courage, in his sincerity, in his wisdom, in his guidance, in his leadership skills. This man could have been one of Khulafa al-Rashidin had he lived long enough because that was the rank that the Sahaba understood that he had amongst them. So this is Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Asadullah wa Rasulihi, the Lion of Allah and his Messenger, and Sayyidu shuhada the master of the shuhada. This tells you enough, by the way, when we talk about how people will be ranked on the Day of Judgment, and we know we have the Anbiya, the Prophets, and the Siddiqun, the people of truth, and we have the Shuhada, and we have the martyrs. Imagine all of the virtues that you read about the Shuhada, all of the virtues that you read about the martyrs, and the Prophet said, their master, their leader on the Day of Judgment is this man, Hamza who's standing representing the rank of the Shuhada the rank of the martyrs coming forth before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to receive his mighty reward. Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, uh, as we, we talk about him, his nickname, Asadullah, of course, the Lion of Allah, and Sayyid al-Shuhada, the master of the martyrs, the leader of the martyrs, his kunya was Abu Ammara. So he had a few sons uh, that would all pass away before him. 
and he would leave behind him only a daughter by the name of Umama. We have spoken about her when we talked about Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So if you go back in the series and you, you listen to the lecture about Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu, then you will see the story of his daughter, his one descendant that survived him, Umama radiallahu ta'ala anha. Now, one of the things that we talk about often as we're going through this series is the meaning of the names. When you name your children, have a reason for the way that you are naming them, right? We live in an era where people just find something that sounds cute and modern, whatever that means, throw it on your child and say, this is the name of my child. And if you remember, we talked about Abu Talib and subhanAllah, the way that he named his children. So Banu Hashim in particular, it seems that even in the days of ignorance, when they named their children, they had special names special reasons and intentions, aniya, for the way that you name your children. So Al-Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, both of their names mean lion, actually mean Asad. Abbas, the Arabs say, is when the lion is roaring before it attacks its prey. And so what is the, the lion superior at, or what is the lion doing and I know that uh, some of the kids are going to love this, especially Abdullah, my son, because he loves animals, right? But they talk about the lion's ability to scope out its prey and the way that the lion even paces its roars and the, and the noise that it makes. Superior wisdom, it knows how to stake out its prey. And so that speaks to the, uh, the calculated uh, way that the lion paces itself before it jumps on its prey. Al-Abbas means that. The Asad, the lion, when the, when the lion is roaring, when the lion is about to attack, when the lion is scoping out its prey. Hamza refers to the lion, whenever the, the, the lion has attacked its prey and it is starting to tear into the prey, the time when it's eating and feasting on its prey, that means Hamza. And by the way, Usama refers to post, <laughs> post prey. So all of these names actually in the Arabic language refer to the lion. So Hamza refers to the strength, right? The lion when it's showing its superior strength. SubhanAllah how it matches Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he was named Hamza, which also means a lion as it is feasting on its prey. So it speaks to his, his build, it speaks to his strength. And of course, what was he known for? Before Islam, very strong, uh, tall, strong, handsome, popular, um, loved, a warrior, a hunter, an archer, one of courage, all of the youth looked up to him, everyone wanted to be him, so every time he came into the town, people would come around him, they made legends about his strength, and his particular hunting skills, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu liked to hunt the animals that no one else could hunt. Amongst them, by the way, lions. So Hamza radiallahu anhu knew how to tame and, and, and hunt lions himself. So everything about him, subhanAllah, represents a lion and he is the lion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was a skilled wrestler. He was a skilled fighter, a skilled archer, a skilled hunter. And he had, they described him, they said he walked with pride. There was a, a pride in the way that he walked. And this was something that uh, was especially known to the Arabs before Islam, right? There was an arrogance to their walk. Uh, especially the royals amongst them. So Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu had a very proud walk, okay? This is the physical description of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and this is who he would be in his society and it matches of course everything that is known about Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, in our memory, in the Muslim memory. 
Uh, from a family perspective, of course, he's from Banu Hashim. He is the paternal uncle of the Prophet Two of the paternal uncles of the Prophet embraced Islam. Two of them did not embrace Islam. Who are the two paternal uncles of the Prophet that embraced Islam? It's nice to have a live audience again. Abbas and Hamza. Who are the two that did not embrace Islam? Abu Lahab and Abu Talib, right? Even though they were very different in the role that they played in the seerah. So Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu is one of the two paternal uncles to embrace Islam. And he's the only one to embrace Islam amongst the first because we know that Al-Abbas would be much later on in Islam. So Hamza is the only one who embraces Islam that early. And if you remember, there was an aunt of the Prophet that was extremely close to Hamza. She loved him so much and she embraced Islam when he embraced Islam. And we did an episode about her. Does anyone remember her name? Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib. The mother of who? Come on, someone make me happy. Who? Az-Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Safiya, the mother of Az-Zubair, may Allah be pleased with them. Safiya was the maternal aunt of the Prophet very close to Hamza radiallahu anhu. When Hamza embraced Islam, she embraced Islam too. So this is Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu in that regard. Uh, now his closeness in age to the Prophet makes him unique in another way. He really was not like an uncle to the Prophet as much as he was like a brother to the Prophet And one narration says that uh, Amina uh, and, and Abdullah, the parents of the Prophet got married in the same gathering as Abdul Muttalib and Hala bint Wahib, the mother of Hamza. So I'm going to say that again. Abdullah married Amina, the, the, the parents of the Prophet got married in the same gathering as Abdul Muttalib married the mother of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And so that's why some of the scholars say that they were the same age. And if not the same age, extremely close in age, the Prophet and Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And on top of that, they were both fed from the same wet nurse. And her name was Thuwayba radiallahu ta'ala anha. So Thuwayba fed both Hamza and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Therefore, they were brothers in Lila'a. They were brothers through that nursing. So they, he is his uncle. He is his brother. Uh, Hala bint Wuhayb, the mother of Hamza, is actually the, the cousin of Amina, the mother of the Prophet sallallahu So he's the second cousin of the Prophet sallallahu through the mother's side. Extremely close in this regard. And if, if you go back to the episode we had about Um Habiba radiallahu ta'ala anha, uh, you'll remember that when Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu passed away, there was a discussion about who would take care of his daughter. And one of the suggestions was that the Prophet would marry uh, his daughter. And the Prophet said that he is my brother. Her father is my brother. For Thuwayba had nursed both of us when we were children. Uh, one other interesting uh, tidbit that comes from the seerah, and there's no way to authenticate this as a hadith, but it comes in the books of seerah, is that Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was a witness to the marriage of the Prophet and Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. He was one of the, uh, one of the witnesses from the Prophet side. So he was there at the wedding of the Prophet He fed with the Prophet He was around the Prophet throughout his entire life, extremely close and extremely beloved to the Prophet ﷺ. So the question is, why didn't Hamza just embrace Islam right away? Right? You know, you're, you're reading about the 
the family of the Prophet as he called them to Islam first, why so late? Why did Hamza not embrace Islam right away? The ulama mentioned a few things. The scholars say first and foremost, Hamza was rarely in Mecca. He was always out in the desert hunting something, doing something, exploring something. He was the man of adventure. Okay, so he was not really in the city. While other people would do tijara and they would buy and sell and trade, and Hamza anhu was kind of disconnected from city life in Mecca and what other people were doing, the tribal affairs of Banu Hashim. He was just the guy that would go out, he would learn all of these different things. You know, uh, think about a person who is so into their craft, into their sports, it's as if nothing in the world counts. Nothing else in the world matters. That's Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu with his archery, with his hunting. He was never really in Mecca. And you know, surely when you actually look through the incidents of the Prophet calling Banu Hashim, Hamza radiallahu anhu is nowhere to be found. He's never really in those gatherings. His name never even comes up. So that's one thing. The other thing is the ulama say, Hamza was just not a person who really cared much about religion as, as a whole, right? He's busy with his hunting, we know, by the way, that Hamza radiallahu anhu used to drink a lot of alcohol because before the prohibition of Khamar, there are incidents of his drinking. In fact, even after the Battle of Badr, an incident of him drinking alcohol because the prohibition of alcohol came after Badr. Okay, so he really was not into deen. Like, I, I love the Prophet sallallahu I love my, my nephew, I love my brother, but this religion stuff, I'm not interested. I'm going to keep on hunting. I'm going to keep on working on my archery. Didn't really care much about dunya and akhirah, those concepts. None of that really clicked with him, right? So the point is, is that what's very clear is he was distant from it all, both physically and mentally, not really into the entire discussion of religion. Now enter the incident of his Islam. How did he become Muslim then? Abu Jahl taunted the Prophet and was increasing in his torture of the Prophet and his persecution of the Muslims as he saw that he wasn't able to, to root out Islam by the torture of his followers. So when you look at Abu Jahl, Abu Jahl goes one by one and he, you know, he, he's a tyrant and he's a coward, but he goes one by one right with the classes. So he starts off with who? The weakest followers of the Prophet and of course, the first murder victim of Abu Jahl was who? Sumayya radiallahu ta'ala anha. And of course, uh, Yasir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the first shuhada. And then the torture of Abu Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the torture of those types of people. Then he brings it closer and closer and closer until finally Abu Jahl moves from verbal abuse of the Prophet to starting to get physical with the Prophet as well. So this is a point where Abu Jahl is increasing in his tughiyan. He's increasing in the way that he is starting to oppress the Prophet and the early Muslims. He's getting more aggressive with them. And in fact, before this incident, Abu Jahl grabbed a stone and he went to the Kaaba and the Prophet was praying in front of the Kaaba and he was walking with a stone. Imagine, you know what he said he wanted to do? He said, I'm going to crush his head while he's in sujood. You know, when a person is a madman like that and he doesn't think properly because of how he's deceived by his own strength, he said, I'm going to go and I'm actually going to kill him. Today I just woke up and I decided, you know what, I'm sick of him, I'm going to go kill him. And he goes to the Kaaba and as he's going to the Kaaba to crush the Prophet suddenly he drops the stone, he looks, his eyes get wide and then he screams and he runs. People are looking around like, what just happened? 
So Abu Jahl, he says that when I went to kill the Prophet or to, to step on him, to hurt him, the Prophet he finished his salah, he said, if he would have done so, Jibreel. Jibreel would have killed him on the spot. Jibreel was ready to kill Abu Jahl on the spot if he would have tried to harm the Prophet And Abu Jahl said that I saw a trench of fire in front of me, right as I was about to kill the Prophet And this is what the ulama mentioned, some of them mentioned the ayat, فَلْيَدْعُوا نَادِيَ سَنَدْعُوا الزَّبَانِيَ let him call out to his associates. We will call, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we will summon the guardians of hellfire, the angels who guard hellfire. So Abu Jahl saw the angels in front of him and he saw a trench of fire and it, it caused him to panic and he ran away. Did that make him repent? No. He went right back to oppressing the Prophet because he convinced himself that even though he had heard the Quran, and this is important, by the way, when you see that Allah really established a hujjah against these people, a proof against these people. He heard the Qur'an, he admitted that it was miraculous in private. He admitted that the Prophet's character was superior in private. He admitted all of these things about the Messenger in private, but at the same time, Abu Jahl was willing to die for his tribe. This was about Banu Mahzum versus Banu Hashim. My tribe versus his. I cannot acknowledge he's the messenger of Allah because then his tribe gains the upper hand over my tribe. So he continues to harass the Prophet So one day, he goes to the Prophet in the Kaaba, he starts to push him around. And Abu Jahl throws a nasty insult at him in front of the people. Very nasty insult. Now realize, that you know, the Arabs had these red lines of sorts when it came to like cursing a person's family. So he said something that had some asabiyya in it, some sort of insult to his family that was embedded in the insult to the Prophet And none of the tribesmen of the Prophet were around to defend him. What, what, what used to happen is that Banu Hashim, Banu Muttalib, the tribesmen of the Prophet even those that were not Muslim, they would stand up for him وسلم, if someone tried to harass him because that was their duty. They weren't dutiful to Allah, but they were dutiful to Muhammad وسلم, as a person of their tribe. So this time Abu Jahl really you know, looked cowardly. He looked bad in front of the people because he noticed the Prophet ﷺ had no one around him from his tribe. So he used that as an opportunity to particularly insult him using his family. So he did so, and some of the people saw it and they didn't like it. That was a bad look, right? Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu happens to be coming back into town. So think about yourself sitting around the Kaaba. Here's what Hamza radiallahu anhu was known to do. Hamza radiallahu anhu would hunt all these exotic animals he would come back, the people, the youth in particular would rush him, right? If they could get his autograph, they would. Everyone would rush Hamza radiallahu anhu. And he, would, he was a very social person. He'd go to the Kaaba and he'd sit in the various circles around the Kaaba. People hanging out at that time around the Kaaba, having their conversations, the tribesmen, they would invite Hamza radiallahu anhu to sit with them. He would sit with them for some time. He would distribute some of the, the meat that he, had, that he had slaughtered and hunted on the outskirts of Mecca catch up with people and things of that sort. So Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes back from a hunting trip, which is very like Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And as he's coming back, he goes straight to the Kaaba to do his thing, do his usual routine. 
And this woman comes out to him, and she is from the family of Abdullah ibn Jud'an. Uh, she's a female servant from the, from the family of Abdullah ibn Jud'an, and she lives around Safa, and she witnessed the incident of Abu Jahl humiliating the Prophet So she goes to Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and in a way starts to say to him like, you know, how, how are you okay with this? You're coming here and you're demonstrating your bravery. You're showing how proud you are. But at the same time, you know, your nephew was treated this way and you did nothing about it. Hamza radiallahu anhu said, what do you mean? And she relayed to Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu the entire incident. Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, awa qad fa'al, did he really do that? She said, yes. Hamza radiallahu anhu said, did the Prophet sallallahu did Muhammad sallallahu my nephew respond to him? She said, no, the Prophet sallallahu was dignified. He never responded to the insults of the people. And Hamza radiallahu anhu became even more enraged. He said, وَمَا رَدَّ عَلَيْهِ أَحَدْ Not a single person had the decency to stand up for my nephew and respond to Abu Jahl. And she said, no. So Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes marching towards the gatherings around the Kaaba. The way that he's described is that the anger was in his face and he was sweating out of anger. I mean, you saw the redness in his face. He was raging. He was fuming. He's walking past everyone and they knew something was wrong. He wasn't greeting anybody. He's walking straight to Abu Jahl. People are getting in the way and they're trying to say, what's going on, Hamza? What happened? Hamza goes straight to Abu Jahl, right amongst his, clans, uh, amongst his clansmen, amongst his tribesmen, amongst the Banu Mahzum. So he has no fear. I don't care if your whole tribe is around you. I don't care how big you are, how strong you think you are. He takes his coast, which is his bow, and he punches him with his bow on his hand, right in the middle of his head. Okay? That, now, now when Hamza punches you, <laughs> that's a knockout punch every time. Okay, if, that, if Abu Jahl is a man who is the size of Umar bin Khattab so you read about the size of Umar Abu Jahl was that size physically, huge man, tyrant, a Fir'aun, right? The Pharaoh of this Ummah. If that was a, a smaller person, when Hamza who punched him, that could have killed him, right? But because it's Abu Jahl, he survived, but his head split open right away and the blood started to flow from his head. Hamza doesn't care about the scene that he's making, he stands on top of him and he says, Atashtumu Muhammadan, you little, you know, starts to call him names. You dare insult Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then in, in, the, in the midst of him talking down to Abu Jahl, he's literally standing on top of him. He says, Atasubbuhu wa ana ala deenihi wa aqulu ma yaqul. You dare curse him when I am on his religion? I say what he says? Right? He doesn't even know what he says. He doesn't know anything about Islam. He doesn't, he doesn't know what to call it, right? But I'm on his religion and I say what he says just because he knows that would make Abu Jahl mad. And that's part of his war cry at the moment. Now when he does that, Banu Mahzum gets up and they're about to attack Hamza. Abu Jahl was a smart man, right? He's, he's, he's foolish in his rejection of Islam, but what was his nickname before Islam? Abu Al-Hakam, the father of wisdom. He's manipulative, he's controlling, he knows how... I mean, there's a reason why he rose to that position in society. It wasn't all his strength, right? He knew how to play people. He knew how to play these tribal lines. Abu Jahl sees what is about to happen here, and he knows that if Hamza turns against us, we're in trouble. Because up until this point, 
There is no powerful person that embraced Islam. No warrior, no one, no one who held the status of a person like Hamza radiallahu anhu had embraced Islam, which is why Abu Jahl could pick on the Muslims the way that he would. You had some wealthy people, some people that were considered, you know, somewhat noble by their standards, but he knows that if I let this go, if this breaks loose, I'm in trouble. So Abu Jahl, right away, even though he just got popped by Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu while the blood is still coming from his head, he stands up and he says, he says, no, no, no. He says, everyone stop, calm down. He says, he's right, I went too far with his nephew. And he, he says, uh, فَإِنِّي سَبَبْتُ ابْنُ عَمِّهِ سَبَّنْ قَبِيحًا He said, you know, leave him alone because I really did insult his nephew with an insult I should not have insulted him with. Right? So Abu Jahl is trying to play now. You know, a, a person who's apologetic, I'm sorry, you know, let's, let's calm things down. Since when does Abu Jahl want to de-escalate? Right? That should tell you everything about how much he feared the Islam of the likes of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he knows that Hamza probably just said what he said. And he was right in the moment of anger wasn't really a Muslim, come on, he didn't care about religion. And he wants to stop this before it gets out of hand. So Abu Jahl de-escalates, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he, you know, he leaves in that state. He doesn't say a word after that, he doesn't punch him again, he doesn't fight Banu Makhzum, he goes back home. Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, I got home, and he actually relayed that night, he said, and I was, I was so upset with myself, confused, conflicted. I didn't know what to do. Because he said, Shaytan came to him and tried to talk him out of it. Like, oh, you, you're playing with religion and this and that, and you're, what about your forefathers? So he started to give him, he heard the whispers of the rhetoric of Shaytan. What about your forefathers and Abdul Muttalib and you've shamed your forefathers and your family. He said at the same time, did I really just accept the religion of my nephew or not? So he, he said he did not sleep that night. Now Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu said he believed in Allah. He believed in a God because he had that fitrah. So he knew the idols were there. He wasn't a particularly religious person, <clears throat> but he believed in Allah. So he said, I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I asked Allah to put guidance in my heart, to guide me to what was right, to allow something to happen, to settle it. If, if this was what I was supposed to be doing, then oh Allah, right? And, and again, to him, the idols are gods, but there's one supreme God. So oh Allah, just let it settle in my heart. And subhanAllah, this is a great lesson, by the way, in Qadr, a great lesson in divine decree. <laughs> you know, think about this situation, how Allah used Abu Jahl, who feared Islam growing, right? to bring about the religion, to bring about Islam in the heart of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Right, think about that divine decree. You know, Abu Jahl thought he was getting a leg up on the Prophet sallallahu when he insulted the Prophet sallallahu But what ended up happening was he would be the means by which Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu would embrace Islam. So Allah allowed him to insult the Prophet sallallahu as a means of guidance for Hamza radiallahu anhu to become the most powerful aid of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And by the way, there was an, a unique asabiyah to this, a tribalism to this. Who insulted the Prophet Sallallahu before Abu Jahl? Who was it? Who was the first person? I'll give you a hint, his name is in the Quran. Abu Lahab. But Abu Lahab's Hamza's brother. It's different, <laughs> right? You know, his own uncle insulted him that way, a much nastier insult than whatever Abu Jahl said to him, in a very 
consequential time, but that's different because he's his uncle, he's our family. But you, Abu Jahl from Banu Makhzum, don't you dare. Stay back and don't interfere, right? So there was, it, it truly was what motivated him in the beginning was that Asabiyah. So he goes to the Prophet and he tells the Prophet what happened. The Prophet told him, ask Allah for guidance. Let, you know, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide you. And by the way, this is very important to anyone who's doing da'wah. When you're calling people to Allah, the end of it, the intellectual debates, when you present the proofs, at the end of it all, you tell that person, call upon God alone and ask God to guide you. See what happens to your heart. Even if you believe in some other, you know, way, right? If you believe in God as having partners or whatever it is, but ask God alone. Say, oh God, if this is the truth, guide me to it. And watch what happens to your heart as a result of that, right? So the Prophet told Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu to do just that. And Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu prayed on it, he thought about it, and he said to the Prophet Ashhadu innaka rasadiq. I testify that you are telling the truth. And he said, فَأَظْهِرْ دِينَكَ يَبْنَ أَخِي Go ahead and proclaim your religion open. دِينِكَ يَبْنَ أَخِي Go ahead and show your religion to the people. Oh, my, my nephew, I will support you. SubhanAllah, it is, it, it's really amazing. And then he says to the Prophet the whole, I wouldn't want the whole world if it meant that I would return to my first deen, meaning the religion of polytheism. So now Islam is precious to me. I know you're telling the truth. I believe in your religion. Iman settled in my heart. Faith and guidance has settled in my heart. So he says to the Prophet ﷺ, go out and proclaim your religion. I will protect you. Now, now I have your back. Can you imagine how dumb Abu Jahl felt when he heard this? And this is when the scholars of Sirah actually mentioned there was a turning point. That before Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu accepted Islam, there was never any real negotiation with the Prophet ﷺ. But after Hamza radiallahu anhu accepted Islam, now there was the talk of negotiating with the Prophet ﷺ, trying to compromise with him because they knew if a battle were to break out between the Muslims and them, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu would surely cause a bloodbath. They didn't want anything to do with this man in battle and in war. So things did indeed change. This is also when the scholars mention the ayah, Idfa' billati hiya ahsan fa'idha ladhi baynaka wa baynahu adawatun ka'annahu waliyun hameen. Reminding the Prophet the verses, right? The, the best person who is better in speech than the one who, who, uh, who works righteous deeds and who believes in Allah and says that I am from the Muslims. Fast forward all the way to where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Persist on your ways of good. Respond to evil with that which is better. And you will find that even your enemies will become your protective allies. The ulama mentioned that this verse came down after the Islam of Hamza and as a glad tidings of the Islam of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. That if you think this is big, someone even greater than this is about to come to you soon. Right? So this is the first of that class of powerful men that are embracing Islam. Someone else is around the corner and that is Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So in Mecca, uh, we don't know much about his life. It seems he continued his ways for the most part. He continued to hunt. He continued to 
uh, be who he was, but at the same time, he became from the regulars of Darul Arqam. Okay, so he, he became a student of the Prophet ﷺ, a student of the Qur'an. He would go to Darul Arqam, he would study with the early Muslims. When anyone would come, he was the de facto guard of Darul Arqam. So if there was a knock on the door or some noise outside, Hamza who stood up, he pulled out his bow, he pulled out his sword, and that was their protection. It was the expectation that Hamza was going to be the guardian of the Muslims in these early days. Now, what we do know is that you find Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu playing this role with the Prophet sallallahu particularly once they make the hijrah and they go to Medina and when the actual battles start. When the actual battles start. And subhanAllah it's actually narrated that before the hijrah, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know people were trying to leave quietly, right? Hamza radiallahu anhu wanted one final go at the people of Mecca so he actually went out to the Kaaba and he announced, he said, if anyone wants to fight, I'm here. Anyone want to go for one more duel before I make my way to Medina and make the hijrah? So while others were trying to, you know, escape the persecution, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala was going out and calling out to see if anyone wanted one final uh, battle, one final fight in Mecca before he goes out. Nobody, nobody accepted the call of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala to fight him. They didn't even try to crowd him at the time. They just said, you know what, let him go. They make the hijrah. Uh, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was paired off with, or he stayed in the house of Kulthum ibn al-Hadim radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who we will one day talk about inshaAllah ta'ala, but one of the nobles of the Ansar. And the Prophet paired him off with, or made him the brother of, someone specific, and that is Zayd ibn al-Haritha radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now Zayd of course is from Mecca like him, but they would live together and they were like brothers because remember, Zayd was at that time, you know, the adopted son of the Prophet ﷺ, the beloved one of the Prophet ﷺ. So he was from, from the same family. And so Hamza and Zayd rode together. And in fact, we'll find that a few things come out of this. One, remember in the Battle of Badr, they didn't have horses. They weren't prepared for a full-out battle. So Hamza and Zayd were actually sharing the same she-camel on the day of Badr. We also see that Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu entrusted Zayd with his wasaya, with his will and with his inheritance. So he, especially before the battles, would tell Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu what he wanted to happen after he passed away. And he was always prepared uh, for that moment when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would take his life. The Prophet however, did not just count him in that regard, right? This is his brother, this is his uncle, this is the first of the powerful to embrace Islam. He is certainly a warrior. The Prophet also considered him to be one of his closest advisors. Said that the Prophet had 14 advisors amongst whom was Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the early period in Al-Madina. Now what was the first battle of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu? Badr? Close, but prior to Badr, there were two expeditions or potential skirmishes that would take place. And if you were to list the firsts in regards to Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam entrusted Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu as the first general of Islam, the first flag bearer of Islam in both expeditions prior to the Battle of Badr. What is this referring to? Of course, once they were in Medina, 
The people of Mecca stole all of their belongings, raided whatever they left behind and their families, and they stole their belongings. So the Prophet ﷺ allowed for attacks on some of the caravans to try to take back what was stolen from them in Mecca. Right? So the first one of those, the Prophet ﷺ sent Hamza to lead a group of the Sahaba on the first raid against Quraysh. And so it was 30 of them, and they intercepted one of the caravans as it was heading to Asham, as it was heading to uh, greater uh, Syria. And Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu had 30 men with him. Abu Jahl happened to be in that particular caravan going to Asham, and they had 300. Hamza radiallahu anhu didn't care. He said, we're going to fight all 300 of them. Okay? Now what ends up happening is that as Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes forth, the first general of Islam, the first one to lead a raid commissioned by the Prophet and Abu Jahl prepares his man to fight back, there was a man who was there by the name of Majd ibn Amr al-Juhani, who intervened between them, and this was in his area, it was in the Juhayna territory, and he, he was someone that was considered an ally to both sides. From a tribal perspective, he had a good relationship with Banu Hashim, he had a good relationship with Banu Makhzum, he was in good standing with the Prophet ﷺ, good standing with Mecca, good standing with Medina. So he basically separated between them and made peace between them and set them both on their way. So Abu Jahl and the caravan continued to Asham, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, out of respect for this man, he turned around with those 30 men and they came back to Al-Medina. A second time was Al-Abwa. And this time in Al-Abwa, the Prophet ﷺ himself went out, by the way, in this expedition, which is significant because the first one the Prophet ﷺ went out in, but guess who the general was and holding the flag? Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So his position is very clear as the lead in all of these situations, right? So Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu leads. However, uh, there was no actual battle that would take place in Al-Abwa. However, the expedition went out to uh, Al-Abwa. Now comes the Battle of Badr. So what did it look like to see Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu in war? Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you can imagine, he wanted to fight the Meccans way before this. He was ready. And Hamza radiallahu anhu had this feather from an ostrich. He, you know, he hunted these exotic animals, right? So you know people that keep their uh, souvenirs right, the, the, the different animals. I'm not saying there was a deer head in the, in the home of Hamza radiallahu anhu or something like that. Uh, I know in Texas, this is very appealing to some of you, okay? But Hamza radiallahu anhu had this exotic feather of an ostrich and he put it on his chest. He pinned it sometimes to his helmet, sometimes to his chest. And what it signified was, if anyone wants to battle, come fight me. Like, you know, when you're in battle, you're, you're, you're wearing pretty much the same thing. You're trying to kind of hide yourself amongst the ranks. Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, to him it was, come at me. Right? I want to fight and I'm not hiding from you. And this was a sign, they said, of his shuja'ah, of his courage, that he would wear something so distinctive and, and, and hold himself out uh, before battle. Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was also one of those who could fight with two swords. Now, if you uh, carry the swords of those people, <laughs> you know, for us these days, it's like to carry one of them takes two hands and you fall. Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu could, could wield both swords in battle. And this was one of his skills that he could fight with two swords in one battle. And he had, uh, you know, uh, control with both of his arms. So they go out to the battle of Badr. Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the first general of Islam uh, carrying 
the flag. Clearly, the Prophet is organizing the army in a way that Hamza is the lead. And before the battle started, there was a name by the name of Al Aswad ibn Abdul Asad. Uh, and he was from the tribe of Abu Jahl. It's from the other side, Al Aswad ibn Abdul Asad. And he swore that he was going to walk right through the Muslims and he was going to drink from the well of Badr. Arrogant man from the tribe of Makhzum, from Abu Jahl's tribe, as a means of taunting the Muslims because the Muslims had occupied the wells of Badr. Now realize the Muslims were not expecting the large army that was coming in Badr. Badr was not looking good for them. They didn't have the animals of war. They didn't have their proper weapons. They really were not ready, but they knew that this huge army was coming to get them with all of their animals and all of their weapons. So they occupied the wells of Badr strategically, right? Al-Aswad ibn Abdul Asad said, I'm going to go and drink from the, uh, the well of the Muslims or uh, I'll, I'll destroy it or, or I'll die for it. So I'm going to plow right through them and I'm going to go ahead and drink from their, their well to taunt them because no one's going to fight me. He was wrong. <laughs> Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu immediately when he came through, he came out in front of him, he sliced his legs and he killed him. So this is actually the first man to die in the battle of Badr and Hamza radiallahu anhu was not scared of him at all, right? Threw him back like whatever. You know, we are not intimidated, we're not afraid of you. So Hamza radiallahu anhu was the first to strike on the day of Al-Badr. At that point, Utbah bin Rabi'ah, he comes out and he has his brother uh, Shayba, of course, and they call out and they say, uh, you know, send us, send us three that are going to, to fight us. Okay, send us your three best men. Three of the Ansar came out to fight them, to duel before the battle. And he said, you know, of course, referring to himself, uh, Utbah, uh, uh, Shayba, and uh, Tu'ima ibn Adi, he said, you know what? Uh, these three men are not equivalent to us. Send us some more noble people. Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes out. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Ubaidah ibn al-Harith. And uh, Utbah says, he calls out and he says, who are you? And this was Hamza himself who responded. And he said, I am the uncle of the Prophet Asadullah wa rasulihi. I am the Lion of Allah and His Messenger. You know, in battle, these things are permissible, right? People uh, show their strength in battle and, they, and, and before their duels. This is permissible. So Hamza radiallahu anhu says, I am the Lion of Allah and the Lion of His Messenger. And Utbah, he says, a noble and worthy opponent. You know, I can fight you. Uh, at least they didn't send three other people. So they're sending their best from the very beginning, which shows that they're serious about this battle. Of course, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu kills him. Hadi radiallahu ta'ala anhu kills Shayba. Ubaidah ibn al-Harith kills Tu'ayma. But at the same time, Ubaidah ibn al-Harith was wounded and he would die uh, later on uh, as a result of that, uh, that battle. Uh, I'm sorry, Al-Walid ibn Utbah. I was trying to think about who the third person was. So it was Al-Walid ibn Utbah who was fighting. So anyway, the Battle of Badr then ensues. We know that Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was extremely brave and the Battle of Badr was of course a decisive victory for the Muslims. And of course they derived a confidence after seeing these three men fight and duel with the other three uh, prior to the battle uh, even starting. However, this made Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu a key person, a key target for whatever battle was going to come after Badr. 
when the people got back to Mecca and they had lost some of their elders, Abu Jahl, Utbah, right? Umayyah, these, these huge names amongst the mushrikeen, amongst the disbelievers died in the battle of, uh, of Badr. The poetry that would come out of Mecca, the environment of Mecca, the widows and the daughters and the sons and the way that people were fuming in Mecca to get revenge from the Muslims for their casualties in the Battle of Badr. And if you think about this, subhanAllah, these people, they didn't have akhirah. They didn't have any notion of the hereafter. They didn't have any notion of shahada or martyrdom or anything like that, right? So this was all that they had was their pride. And this was a huge blow to their ego. Everything we persecuted the Muslims for for all 13 years and then we lost our leaders, our heads in this Battle of Badr where we were supposed to rout them. And this, of course, is especially with Hind bint Rutbah, Rutbah, who was killed by Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hind bint Rutbah was fantasizing about what she would do to Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The body, the, the, the way she would mutilate his body, all of the harm that she would commit. She was talking about it. She was authoring lines of poetry to the point that it became, it became an obsession for her to get revenge on Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu for what he had done to her father, Utbah. And you have to know that with the Battle of Uhud, they didn't just come out with their larger army and their more prepared cavalry and what they were brewing inside of them of hatred and, and the desire for vengeance and revenge. They also came with the women folk of, with the women folk of Mecca. And so the wives, the widows, the daughters came forth. So Hind comes out, um, the wife of Ikram ibn Abi Jahl, uh, Fatima bint Walid, the daughter of, of Mas'ud al-Thaqafi, the wife of Amr ibn al-As, the mother of Mus'ab ibn Umayn, all these enemies, right? The women folk came out too, and they had these lines of poetry. They were singing all of these verses about vengeance, right? And they, had, they even had extra animals with the wine because they wanted to celebrate over the corpses of the Muslims. So they're coming back to Medina actually for Uhud with a vengeance and particularly they wanted to uh, they wanted to, to, to really mutilate uh, the Muslims. They didn't just want to defeat them. They wanted to mutilate them after the defeat. So the Battle of Uhud starts to take place. In the beginning of the battle, I know that some of you might, you know, we all know the death of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the Battle of Uhud, right? But what you probably don't know is that before he died, he actually was, you know, he actually killed many of the enemy. Okay, so when the battle first started, uh, one of the people that he killed was a, main, a man by the name of Suba' bint Abdul Uzza. Suba' bint Abdul Uzza, who was considered one of the strongest of Quraysh, Hamza radiallahu anhu killed him with two blows. And the narrations mention that up to two-thirds of the casualties on the other side on the day of Uhud were from the hands of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. SubhanAllah, what a way to go out, right? Up to 30 or 31 people Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu would kill before he was killed by the spear of Wahshi. So Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes out and Hamza radiallahu anhu does what Hamza does. And of course we know that in Uhud, the Muslims had the upper hand, they had the victory. So how did he die? Wahshi bin Harb, of course, was a, was, was a slave of Jubair ibn Mut'am. And Jubair freed him on the condition that he would kill 
Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Hind offered him a specific compensation for the murder of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu to kill him and to cut out his liver so that Hind could chew it and spit it out. They wanted to make an example out of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Wahshi described the moment and the Abyssinians particularly were known for their spear play. Actually, subhanAllah, even when you look at the narrations about Eid, when, when Aisha radiallahu anha and the Prophet would watch the Abyssinian Muslims, they had the spears that they would practice with. And so Wahshi was a specialist with his spear, and he had a particular spear that he, w- he was known to, to really use very well. Wahshi described the moment. He said that I went out on the day of Uhud and I hid behind this boulder. And I wasn't involved in the rest of the battle. I literally just kept my eyes on Hamza and I waited for something to be exposed of him. I waited for the first moment where I could kill him. And subhanAllah, he says that, he, you know, I saw him roaring like a lion through the battle and demolishing the enemy. He said until after he killed Ibn Abdul Uzza, who we talked about, he said that his armor was raised just a little bit to where some of his lower abdomen was exposed. So I said, there's my opportunity. So Wahshi said, I looked at him and then I pinpointed him and then I threw my spear at him and it went right through his body, through his lower abdomen. So it actually went through him. And he says, Hamza was so strong, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that he got up and he still pursued me even as the spear was through his body. SubhanAllah, he was still able to pick up his sword and come after me even with the spear through his body until eventually he succumbed to the wound and he passed away, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the master of the shuhada, Sayyid al-Shuhada. Now, of course, this is a difficult, difficult thing for the Prophet as it is to lose someone like Hamza is not easy. He's definitely at the chief of the casualties that would die on the day of Uhud. And of course, they were a little over 70, about 72 or 73 people that died in Uhud from the Muslims, amongst them Hamza, and of course, Abdullah ibn, uh, Abdullah ibn, uh, Abdullah ibn Jahsh, and uh, Mus'ab ibn Umayr, and some of the, the noble, some of the most well-known Sahaba that passed away in the day of Uhud, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, is the chief of those martyrs, and he's the chief of all martyrs of all time. All of the shuhada will line up behind him on the day of judgment. It's hard enough to lose Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, but of course, uh, beyond that, after the battle was over and, and, and because of what had taken place where the archers left their position and the Prophet وسلم, uh, went up into the mountain of Uhud, so the battlefield itself was relinquished to them to celebrate, to claim the battlefield at that point where the Muslims had fled or they had gone up into the mountain. They then started to make an example. They started to mutilate the bodies of the shuhada. It wasn't just Hamza, by the way, but it was all of them, that they started to cut off their ears, they started to cut their noses, they started to do things to their bodies, nasty things to their bodies, celebrating with their wine, chanting their poetry, all you know, these, these horrific things that they were doing to them, right? As, as their moment of gloating. This is all they have is this dunya. They're sick, sick in the heart at this point, right? Diseased people. And Hind, in particular, asks, for the liver of Hamza to be cut out where she would chew it and she would spit it out. So SubhanAllah, after they had finished doing what they did to the bodies, 
Then the Muslims come back to the battlefield. And the Prophet goes to, of course, the body of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And the Prophet looks at Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he sees the mutilation of the body of Hamza and they mutilated him all over. Cut off his limbs, you know, did things to him that really were, were a disgusting sight. And Rasulullah looks at Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and they said that the cry of the Prophet on that day was unlike the cry of the Prophet on any other day. The way he wept over the body of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was different from any other weeping. Like that's his uncle, that's his brother, that is someone so near and dear to his heart. But subhanAllah, even then the Prophet immediately, what does he say? He tells his Zubair, do not let Safiya see this sight. Go stop your mother from coming to see this sight. SubhanAllah, Rasulullah knows if I can't bear this sight, right? If this sight is, is hurting me so much, then Safiya, what's his sister going to do? What's my aunt going to do? So he sends his Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, says, go stop Safiya from seeing that sight. Safiya is marching forward to Uhud. She's yelling at the Sahaba that fled, calling them names. She's saying, did you leave the Prophet Did you leave Hamza? What happened? Why did you leave them? And as she is marching and marching, as Zubayr is trying to stop his mom, and she's going straight forward and she's looking for Hamza. And Zubair doesn't know what to do. And finally Zubair says, Ya Umma, oh my mother, this was an order from the Prophet So then she stops, right? And that's when she says, what happened to Hamza? And Zubair tells Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha that Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu has been killed. Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha has these two cloths, right? She anticipated something was wrong. So she sends these two cloths back with the Zubair to shroud Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Zubair makes his way back to the Prophet with these two cloths to shroud Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Rasulullah is crying over the body of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he says, alayhi salatu wasalam, Rahimakallah ya Ammah. Rahimakallah ya Ammah. May Allah have mercy on you, O oh my uncle. And the Prophet starts to praise him. And the first thing he says, Faqad kunta wasulan rahim you were always one who enjoined the ties of kinship. You brought us together. You loved your family. You brought us together. And someone who was always, you know, when you say fa'al, fa'ul, like he's always doing khair. You were always doing good, always at the forefront of good. And Rasulullah says, had it not been for the grief of Safiya, like if, if, if I wasn't worried about Safiya seeing your body, the Prophet said, I would have preferred to leave you so that the, the birds would consume you instead and then Allah brings you back on the Day of Judgment. Meaning like this sight, I'd rather, you know, this dignity of the, the birds taking your, your flesh, but Allah will gather you certainly on the Day of Judgment, but I don't want to leave you out for too long because I don't want Safiya to see what I'm seeing. SubhanAllah, so Rasulullah was truly worried about the sister seeing Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu as much as uh, he cried for him. By that time, uh, Zubair came holding the two shrouds for Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the people were shrouding their dead. Just as the Prophet was about to shroud him, there was an Ansari man next to Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu who didn't have anything to cover his body. So the Prophet took one shroud and he shrouded Hamza and he could not shroud the entire body of Hamza like Mus'ab when we'll talk about him. 
and he shrouded Hamza with one, covered the bottom half, and he covered the bottom half of this Ansari man that was next to him, radiallahu uh, ta'ala And then the Prophet um, of course, uh, started to uh, lead the janazah, and there's all types of different narrations about the janazahs of Hamza and the shuhada of Uhud. How would have a janazah taken place? Did it take place? How many takbirat? How many, you know, janazahs did he pray? And one thing about Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that's narrated that the Prophet when he, when he prayed upon Hamza, he did multiple takbirat beyond what is usually done in the janazah. This is something we see narrated authentically about Abu Salama, by the way. Prophet did nine takbirat in the janazah of Abu Salama. What did he say between them? We don't know. But it was unusual. And they say when the Prophet prayed upon Hamza radiallahu anhu, he did up to 70 takbirs. SubhanAllah, you imagine that? Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. As he was praying on Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, some of the narrations suggest that the Prophet prayed 10 by 10 with the bodies of Uhud and Hamza was in each one of the janazas. Like he left his body up there, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and they kept bringing in the bodies and the Prophet prayed on the bodies of 10 by 10. And then the Prophet proceeded to, uh, to, to, to bury them. And we know that Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Abdullah were buried separately in a grave and then the rest of them, Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and then the shuhada were buried uh, in accordance with their hifth of Qur'an, how much Qur'an they memorized. The Prophet buried them in that, in that order, in that fashion by their hifth of the Qur'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the people of the Qur'an. Allahumma ameen. Now there are a few things to be mentioned here as well. The first is that when the Prophet saw what was done to Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the mutilation, and when the Sahaba saw the way that Quraysh was so shameless in the way they mutilated the bodies of the Muslims in Uhud, think about their mindset and where they were at the time. We let your captives go in Badr, right? The Prophet let them go in Badr. Not only did he not kill them or mutilate them, he freed them, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Some of them for the just the ransom of being able to teach Muslims how to read. Like we showed you so much ihsan, so much excellence in Badr, and this is how you repay us. You mutilate our deceased. So it was it was a sign of the ethical disparity, right, between the Muslims and their opponents in this regard. And so some of the Ansar at that moment started to swear that they will mutilate the bodies of the people of Mecca. That not only will we get revenge, but we will, do, we will uh, make an example of them as they made an example of our loved ones. And the Prophet wasallam, looking at the body of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu قال لَأُمَثِّلَنَّ بِسَبْعِينَ مِنْهُمْ Prophet وسلم, said in that moment of hurt and pain as he was crying over the body of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that I will make an example of 70 of them. The way they made an example of 70 of us, I will make an example of 70 of them. Allah Azza wa Jal sends Jibreel alayhi salam to the Prophet in those difficult moments. Surah An-Nahl, verse 126, SubhanAllah, Jibreel comes to the Prophet with these verses. If you retaliate, then let your retaliation only be equivalent to what you have suffered. But if you patiently endure, if you show sabr, 
then that is certainly best for those who show sabr. Wasbir wa ma sabruka illa billah. Allah telling the Prophet be patient. And where are you going to derive that patience from? Allah. You'll derive it from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Rasulullah, don't do to them what they did to yours. SubhanAllah, maintain the moral high ground. Maintain the ethical high ground over these people. And the Prophet responded and he said, I will be patient, inshaAllah. SubhanAllah, and that's why in Fatih Mecca, the same people who mutilated their own in Uhud, they're at the mercy of the Prophet in Mecca. SubhanAllah, what could he have done to them? Right? And justifiably, remember what you mutilated us in our city in Medina? Well, we're back now. And you're at the mercy of the Prophet And so now it can be done to you in the same way you did it to our loved ones. Think about the emotions, right? The Prophet said, no, I'm going to be patient. So that's the first thing, this incident at the death of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The other thing, subhanAllah, about the death of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and what it did to the city of Medina at the time. When they all went back to Medina after Uhud, everybody in Medina had a deceased person from Uhud, right? Everyone had a relative that was killed in Uhud in some way. So everyone in Medina was crying and there was a particular thing called the niyaha, which was the wailing ceremonies, the mourning that the, that the women would do in particular in Medina, mourning over the deceased. And the Prophet ﷺ was walking the streets of Medina. And he sees the crying of, and the wailing of the women in Medina. And the men as well, in their niyaha, in their grief over what has happened. And the Prophet ﷺ, he puts his head down and he says, Tabkuna qatlakum. You cry over your dead ones. He said, Ammi Hamza, my uncle, la bawaki lahu. There's no one to cry over him. Like subhanAllah, his sadness, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. All these families in Medina are gathered and they're all crying over their deceased ones. He said, but my uncle Hamza, who the Prophet cried more for than anyone that they'd ever seen, right? The way he cried over Hamza was the deep cry. They said the weeping of the Prophet when Hamza was massacred, when he was murdered that way. So he said, Hamza has no one to cry over him. So what did they do in Medina? They went all around the Prophet Sallallahu house and they started to loudly wail out of their love for the Prophet SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Like think about their love for the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi like, like SubhanAllah, we, we, we ignored him while we were crying over our own. We forgot that he lost his uncle in this battle and he doesn't have his family with him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, it's, it's different. And so they all went in front of the house of the Prophet Sallallahu and they started to cry and warn and weep. And this is when the hukum, the ruling of al-niyaha, the prohibition of mourning, uh, wailing out loud, came down only after the death of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Wailing is to shout, to cry loudly at the death of a person. So Hamza radiallahu anhu was the last person that this would be allowed for. After that, the prohibition came down that there is no niyaha, there is no wailing at the time of death over a person. And the Prophet وسلم, said, Sayyid al-Shuhada Allah Yawm al-Qiyamah, Hamza bin Abdul Muttarib, as we said, it is an authentic hadith about him. And Rasulullah would visit the Shuhada of Uhud. And by the way, he would pray janazah on the Shuhada of Uhud multiple times. There's a ruling in this that if I miss the janazah of a person, 
and I wanted to attend the janazah and I go there later, can I pray janazah? Yes, you can. Days after, yes. Weeks after, yes. The Prophet ﷺ was still praying janazah on the shuhada of Uhud. Years later, he went out and he prayed janazah on them again wasallam. So how many janazahs did the Prophet ﷺ perform on Hamza anhu and the shuhada of Uhud? And the Prophet ﷺ would point to them and he would say, Ana shahidun ala ha'ula. I am a witness upon these people. I am their witness on the Day of Judgment. SubhanAllah, these amazing human beings. And when the Prophet ﷺ was about to die, he went out to visit Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the shuhada one last time and he prayed upon them one last time and then he went to the baqir next to him where the sahaba were buried and then the Prophet ﷺ went to his home where the sickness would, would, uh, would become severe and he would pass away sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so this is Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the place that he has in Islam and the person that he was. Now subhanAllah, I know I'm going for a very long time, but I want to mention a few things here in conclusion. Number one, one of the amazing things about this is that Wahshi, the one who threw the spear to kill Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Hind, the one who cut open the chest and chewed his liver, both became Muslim. Both became Muslim. And their Islam was described as being outstanding. So they didn't just become Muslim, they actually became pious people. Think about that. All right? Hind, the Prophet forgave her right away when he went back to Mecca and Fatah Mecca. She was afraid. How am I going to approach the Prophet when I caused him that much pain? How am I going to seek his forgiveness? She sought the forgiveness from the Prophet and Rasulullah forgave her. And Hind uh, went on and she became a pious Muslim woman. Wahshi, and in fact, subhanAllah, narration about Hind coming to the Prophet and complaining that Abu Sufyan was cheap with her. <laughs> and the Prophet said to take from his wealth, but do not exceed what you need, right? When you take from his wealth. So the Prophet even showing her lenience and, and the Prophet speaking to her with ihsan, with excellence and helping her in her situation, she became a pious Muslim woman. Wahshi became a pious Muslim man. And there is a narration about Wahshi which is very interesting because sometimes the way the stories were told, subhanAllah, in and of itself, is a lesson for us. It's an authentic narration, it's a long narration from Ja'far ibn Amr ibn Umayyah, who said, I went out with Abdullah ibn Adi and we reached a town of Al-Hims. Wahshi radiallahu anhu settled in Al-Hims in Syria, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala free it, became a great mujahid in Islam, a great warrior in Islam. And he said, we went out to uh, Al-Hims and we were asking about the Sahaba, their tabi'een. So we asked, where is Wahshi? So they pointed to where Wahshi lives and they said, we want to go ask him about the killing of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. I mean, he is marked forever in Islam as that person, right? So they went to Wahshi and they, they went up to him and they said he was in the shade of his home as if it was a full water skin, like he was subhanAllah staying in his shade. He was you know, really away from the people, but he was residing in his own element, in his own system, right? This was a man that had moved on from taking the life of someone very precious to the Prophet and the Muslims. So he said, we went up to him and we were a short distance from him. And Ubaidullah was wearing a turban and Wahshi could not see except for his eyes. And then Ubaidullah, he said to me, uh, do you know who I am? Oh, Wahshi. And Wahshi, he looked at him and he said, no. But I know that Adi married a woman named Umm Qital, 
the daughter of Abu As, and she delivered a boy from him in Mecca. And he started to go through it. But the point is, is that uh, your feet resemble, he said, SubhanAllah, he said, I know, it's actually fascinating. I know that Adi married a woman called Um Qital, the daughter of Abu As, and she delivered a boy from him, for him in Mecca. And I was the one that looked for a nurse for that boy in Mecca. And your feet look like his feet. <laughs> That's how sharp Wahshi was. I remember the feet of a baby that I carried in Mecca a long time ago, and your feet looked like that baby's feet. So Ubaidullah, he, covered his, he uncovered his face and he said, that's me. So he said, can you tell me the story of how Hamza radiallahu was killed? And Wahshi starts to recount to them the moment that he killed Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and particularly how the Prophet وسلم, had asked him to describe how Hamza died and the Prophet وسلم, was so hurt that the Prophet وسلم, could not even look at the face of Wahshi. He forgave him, he accepted his Islam, but he couldn't even look at his face. So Wahshi says, I lived with that pain. I lived knowing that I caused that hurt to the Prophet وسلم. SubhanAllah, imagine like, how am I gonna recover from this? I caused him so much pain. The Prophet وسلم, couldn't look at my face because he, he remembered the murder of Hamza radiallahu anhu when he looked at me. He forgave me, but it was hard for the Prophet وسلم, to look at me. So he said, until the Khilaf of Abu Bakr, he said, I went out in Hurub al-Ridda. I took that same spear that I killed Hamza with. And I marked Musaylam al-Kadhab, the false prophet. The man who killed so many Hafad of the Qur'an, this wicked man. And he said, I went in the battle and I marked him. And I threw the spear at him, the same spear I killed, I threw Hamza, at Hamza radiallahu anhu. And it went right through Musaylama al-Kadhab. And I said, one for one, qataltu khayran nas, I killed the best of people. And then I killed the worst of people. SubhanAllah. Some of the Sahaba, some of the ulama, they said, Qul ya We thought about that verse, say, Oh my servants who have transgressed against themselves, don't despair from the mercy of Allah. When you saw Wahshi, you thought about that verse. How do you recover from murdering Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu? Look what Wahshi did. He took it as motivation to kill the man who was an enemy to the Muslims that caused so much harm to the Muslims, the false prophet Musaylama al-Kadha. And this hadith, where the Prophet وسلم, I mentioned this hadith some time ago, that Allah laughs at two people who meet in Jannah. One of them killed the other. SubhanAllah, you imagine a person meets his murderer in Jannah? Imagine Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu in Jannah, Sayyid al-Shuhada, seeing Wahshi and Hind in Jannah. How did this happen? SubhanAllah, how did this happen? But that shows you the redemption of al-Islam. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave in the mercy of the Prophet to these people. The mercy Allah showed them through the Prophet So if you're thinking, will Allah ever forgive me? Did you commit that deed? SubhanAllah, who do you think is, is, has a harder sin? The one who killed 99 and then 100 people from Bani Israel or the one who took one Hamza? And somehow he redeemed himself. And guess who led the janazah of both Hind and Wahshi? Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. SubhanAllah. Both of them passed away and Umar radiallahu anhu led their janazas. So SubhanAllah, I mean, a, a, an incredible story of Hamza radiallahu anhu, but there's something about this that Hamza died so that Islam could live. He cared about Islam. He cared about Islam living after him and going forward. Hamza radiallahu anhu was not in this for the arrogance of it, the pride of it. No, it was because Iman had settled firmly in his heart. Look what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to Hamza.
and look at the mercy of Allah that there is redemption even for Hind bint Utbah and Wahshi ibn Harb. The last thing I'll say, by the way, is that there's a narration, even though there's some weakness in the narration, uh, that Jabir ibn Abdullah anhu mentions that a person came in the presence of the Prophet وسلم, and he had a son and he asked the Prophet وسلم, what he should name his son and the Prophet وسلم, said you should name him Hamza. So all the Hamzas in here, be proud, <laughs> alhamdulillah. Your parents did you right. And for those of you that are expecting, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you a Hamza that also resembles Hamza. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to love these Sahaba and to be joined with these Sahaba, these Shuhada, these Sabiqun, these Awalun. SubhanAllah, he is a first, a companion, the leader of the martyrs, the master of the martyrs. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala join us with our beloved Messenger وسلم, and these beloved people. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullahu khaira. We won't be able to take questions this week because of Adhan, but inshallah ta'ala next week we will. Subhanakallah muhammadik ashadu wa la'ala tastakhirik wa tuwalik wa sallam wa sallam wa nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa sallam wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.